Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. On this podcast, instead of rating movies and TV shows, two thumbs up, two thumbs down, loved it or hated it, we look at them in terms of what we can learn from them as screenwriters. We look at good scripts, bad scripts, scripts we loved, and scripts we hated. And this week, we're going to be actually looking at two very different scripts. We're going to be looking at the pilot for Living With Yourself, and we're also going to be looking at an older film called Michael Clayton. And we're going to be looking at both of these scripts to illustrate one of the most important concepts in screenwriting, which is the power and the importance of the very first image of your script. We're then going to take some of those concepts, once we understand how to use the first image and how to build the first image and why that first image is so important and how to know if your first image is working. And since this is kicking off our 2020 season, I also want to talk about how you can kick off your own 2020 writing season, how you can prime your own first image and prime yourself as a writer in order to succeed and hit your goals in this next year. So it's going to be an awesome podcast, and I'm so excited to be back with you guys. Okay, so let's get started. Why is the first image so darn important? Well, the first image is the only image that you can guarantee anybody who decides to read your script is actually going to read. Um, readers, coverage readers, producers, managers, agents, stars, they have way more scripts to read than they could humanly read. And most of these scripts are abysmally bad. Uh, when I say bad, I mean no redeeming qualities whatsoever, completely wrong for the person reading them, uh, not well executed, not exciting, paint by numbers, I've seen it a million times. This is what people are used to reading. And that means when a reader goes to pick up your script, they're not thinking, oh my god, I'm so excited, a wonderful script by a talented new writer. They're thinking, oh god, I gotta read another script. I hope it doesn't suck. So the first reason that your first image is so important is it's your opportunity to say to that producer, guess what? This one doesn't suck. This one's going to be awesome. And not only is it going to be awesome, but this is what it's going to feel like. So that immediately from that first image, uh, the reader can go, oh, I think this is for me. Or, uh, you know, maybe this is for somebody else. The same thing is true when your script is finally produced, because the audience, it may seem jaded that producers are so picky and start giving up on a script if they don't like the first image, and you might feel like, wow, they should really wait and see the awesome stuff I have in the future. But the truth is, your audience is doing the same darn thing. Especially now that we have Netflix, we're not sitting around waiting for ABC to start their new show at 7 p.m. We have Netflix now, which means we can sample the first minute of a bunch of different shows or a bunch of different movies and see, is this for me or is this not for me? And the audience is also making that decision. Is this for me or is this not for me? For, from the very first moment they see your very first image. The, there's a great story uh, from Little Miss Sunshine, and this is a great writer, Michael Arndt, one of the great writers of all time, but at this time in his career, he was earlier in his career, and he had done a, a wonderful 
uh, wonderful script for Little Miss Sunshine. Um, and in that script, the first image was, uh, was a Miss America screen and Miss America waving. And the director kind of famously said, you know what, um, I'm not going to shoot that. Instead, I'm going to shoot little Olive waving at the screen. And when asked why he made that choice, he said, because the first image is too important. You don't want to throw that image away. And that first image, he wanted it to be about the character, not about Miss America. Um, so that's the level of detail of thought you want to bring to your first image. You want to understand that your first image is not something you can, can throw away. And it also can't just be a piece of candy you throw out at the audience. You can't just blow something up and expect that your first image is going to work. Uh, for a first image to really work, it has to capture the spirit of the show or the spirit of the movie. It has to capture the genre experience, the feeling that the audience is going to experience. And that means if you've really done your first image right, some people are going to watch it and go, oh, this is not for me. But other people are going to watch it and go, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. So there is no limit on how much time you can put into your first image because the truth is that first image is going to help you in so many ways. If you've taken my Write Your Screenplay class, you know how we build seven-act structure out of first and last images. And when you're looking at the first image of your film, it's not just a way of seducing a producer or even an audience member into your script. It's also the beginning of your character's journey. It's also a structural building block for you to come back to and play with and experiment with and, and discover. In fact, when you look at the first image and last image of your movie or of your pilot or even of your whole series, that first image and last image should just together, just if you just saw those two images, tell you the entire structure of your character's journey. You should be able to feel what your character's journey is just by looking at that first and last image. So that's how important that first image is. It's important for commercial reasons, and this is one of those nice confluences of art and commerce. It's also really important for creative reasons. So you've got the creative side of it, and you've got the business side of it, and those two things are converging beautifully. You've just got to nail a first image that feels like your movie or that feels like your series. So remember, your first image is the first moment of your audition. If, you, if you're an actor, you know that um, a great actor when auditioning doesn't come up and say, Hi, you know, I'm Joe Smith and I'm an actor and now I'm going to perform Hamlet. Uh, a great actor shows up at the audition and they are already Hamlet. They don't step into character. They come in as character. And if you are in the business world, you know that the way you show up for your job interview, the way you show up a little bit early, the way you are dressed, uh, defines who you are and helps that person remember who you are to kind of lock you in and kind of give you a name. Um, and sometimes this can go very well and sometimes this can go very badly. But understanding that that first impression, once it's locked in, is actually very challenging to change. Uh, unless you have a long-term relationship where you really get to know people, uh, 
that first image doesn't go away. In fact, um, they're likely to later tell the story of, oh my God, when, when I met her, it was the craziest thing. She spilled coffee all over herself. And I didn't even realize that she was so put together as I later discovered. Uh, that first image never goes away. It stays forever. And similarly, that first image of your script becomes a window through which every other thing that happens in your script is experienced. So let's talk about how this works. Because there are a million ways to develop a great image. You can use art, you can use craft, you can use meditative writing, you can use, um, you can use uh, uh, inspiration from pieces of art, uh, you can use irony, you can use a million different things. Um, but here's what you can know for sure about your first image. Number one, you want to make sure that your first image is something that the audience has never seen exactly this way before. If your first image is something that the audience has already seen this way, what are they likely to think about your script? Oh, it's going to be cliche. So you want to make sure that your first image is something that no one has ever seen in exactly this way before. That doesn't mean that no one has ever seen anything like it before. There's nothing new under the sun. But you want to make sure that there's something just a little bit special about it. That it's got a little bit of a hook to it. Number two, you want to make sure that your first image is setting the right tone for your movie. That the tone that it establishes for the film or for the television show is the actual tone that the show is going to have. And this brings us to our conversation about this show and this film that I want to speak about. So let's first talk about uh, living with yourself. Living with yourself is such a great example of the power of the first image. Because the truth is, uh, Timothy Greenberg, the, the writer, creator of, of Living With Yourself, has a real problem with this show. He has an incredible premise, which I'm not going to ruin for you yet, but it's super fun and super silly and super mind-bending, and it creates a wonderful little mind-bending romantic comedy. And that's the feeling that he wants you to have, something a little twisted um, and funny and silly and maybe a little bit dark. Um, that's the feeling he wants you to have. Um, but his problem is that the first 13 or 14 minutes of his 26-minute pilot is pretty much standard, fair, sad sack romantic comedy stuff. It's stuff we've seen in a million romantic comedies. It's a character we've actually seen before. So Paul Rudd is the guy who's nowhere in his life. His work is not going well. He messes up the big pitch at his advertising agency because he's unprepared. And the conniving dude next to him, of course, nails it with a super cheesy pitch. Uh, he's unhappy in his marriage and his wife isn't connected to him anymore and she wants to have a baby and he's afraid to do it. And if this sounds familiar, well, it's basically the start of pretty much every romantic comedy is some dude who's nowhere in his life whose life is going to get changed by going through this romantic comedy. So we basically have the traditional sad sack setup. It's even a job that we've seen before. We've seen that failed pitch scene before. 
We've seen the sad bar scene before. We've seen the fight with his wife scene before. And all of these scenes are really well executed. But none of them actually tell us how special this piece is going to be. And the reason this is a problem is if Timothy Greenberg just shows you uh, what his premise is, it's not going to work. It's not going to be as much fun as it is. Um, a lot of people think of the, the uh, first 10, 12 pages of their script um, because of the concept normal world. They think that, oh, the first 10 pages, that's where you set things up. But the truth is if you spend your first 10 pages just setting things up, no one's reading page 11. Uh, the first 10 pages need to grab your reader and shake them and say, pay attention. So in an ideal world, uh, uh, Timothy Greenberg would, would be able to jump right into that with the pilot of living with yourself. Um, but in this case, he, he really can't. In order to deliver the wonderful trick surprise that he's getting to, which again, I'm not going to ruin for you yet, he needs to have these sad sack scenes. And the truth is he has executed those scenes as specifically and well as he can do. And he's got great actors in, in the roles. And, uh, uh, but he's got that problem. So what does he do? What he does is he creates an awesome first image. And that first image is the opposite of anything that you would ever expect in a romantic comedy. The first image, you pan down into a forest, and suddenly the ground, the dirt, begins to move. And out of the dirt comes a man's body wrapped in a plastic bag. And you're not sure if this is a zombie moment or if this is like a being born moment, but it's this really weird image um, that feels out of place for a romantic comedy, for a Paul Rudd movie, and it's shot with just enough humor that you're not genuinely scared, but, um, but with just enough darkness that you don't know exactly what's happening. You don't know if it's just a metaphor for what is it like to be reborn, uh, or if this is something that's actually physically happening in the script. And he goes from there into this traditional sad sack comedy, um, which is so wonderful. Because what it does is, while you're watching that sad sack comedy that you've seen a million times before, you're not just thinking, oh, it's a sad sack comedy. You're thinking, how does this relate to what I already saw? How does this relate to what I already saw? How does this relate to what I already saw? Um, by about 14 minutes in, we've got Miles, the main character, Paul Rudd's character, has gotten to the spa and we've gotten the first big joke, which I'm not going to spoil for you. And suddenly we know we're launched in and we're launched into the premise. And by the time we get to the end of that 26 minute episode, we actually know exactly what we're going to watch. Um, but all of that gets created with that first image that sets the tone, the feeling, the experience of the show for the audience. Um, so the, the really cool thing about what Timothy Greenberg does is he then looks at that knowing that what we find out later is that this is a flash forward that we're starting with. He then uses that and uses an improv tool that we call Yes Anding and actually uses that idea to build the premise, which is that we are actually going to jump around in time 
in this piece. And as we jump around in time, we're also going to jump around in point of view in this piece. And that's part of how he's going to land this premise. And so this is what's so great about the image. It's not just setting the tone. It's not just a captivating image that is alarming for a romantic comedy. It doesn't just help us get through that in that normal sad sack stuff with a, a curiosity sparked. It also creates a blueprint for the structure of every episode that we're going to watch from this point forward. So that's the level of thought that you want to bring to your first image. I'm going to give you one more first image. Uh, Michael Clayton is a movie probably most of you have watched, so I'm not so worried about spoilers. Um, but it's a great movie to, to study. In fact, I often teach it in my Write Your Screenplay class because the seven-act structure of Michael Clayton is so brilliant. Um, and what the writer does is, is, is really fascinating. Um, so he's got the same problem. Um, basically, the concept for Michael Clayton comes from Tony Gilroy getting really frustrated with lawyer movies. What he said is, all the really interesting stuff at law firms doesn't happen in the courtroom. That's just a tiny piece of it. The really interesting stuff happens in the kitchen. It happens when the lawyers are working out deals and figuring out how business is going to work. But in every movie, law is depicted as if it happens primarily in the courtroom. And, and so this bothered Tony Gilroy, and so he decided he wanted to write a thriller set in the kitchens of law offices. Now, that is probably the worst idea for a pitch ever, right? Um, I'm going to take the most boring aspects of a profession that most people think of as a boring profession, and I'm going to dramatize them. So you can see that he's got a problem there. His other problem is that Michael Clayton becomes a thriller, um, but it has a very, very slow burn. We don't, and it's not Jason Bourne. We don't immediately get thrown into action sequences or life and death stuff. We are actually starting off with a character, uh, George Clooney's character, who considers himself a janitor, uh, who's a lawyer whose job is to clean up the messes of rich people. And uh, he goes on a journey that starts with, I'm a janitor, that ends with, I am Shiva, the god of death. And that is his journey, which you can see is a pretty huge journey for a character. And it does end up happening in thriller terms, but it takes a long time to get to that thriller angle. So with Living With Yourself, we talked about a first image as one isolated moment. Um, with Michael Clayton, we can talk about the whole first sequence as the first image. Um, how the first sequence of this piece creates a, a way of us understanding the tone and the genre and the theme and getting sucked into this movie. So if you remember the first sequence of Michael Clayton, um, George Clooney's character is basically called up to clean up a hit and run by one of the most despicable people that his firm represents. It's a super wealthy man who has killed somebody fled the scene of the accident, and now it's George Clooney's job to clean it up. And there's a brilliant scene where we watch George Clooney have to do that work, and we see the effect that that takes on Clooney, uh, on his character's self-esteem. And he leaves that place, and he's driving his sports car. And at one point, he gets out, and we don't know exactly why, 
but he approaches a bunch of horses. And we don't even yet know the meaning of those horses or why he's approaching them, but we see the horse's breath in the cold. And we see George Clooney pet the horse's nose. And then behind him, his car explodes. And you can see this is another use of first image, in this case, first sequence, to set the tone of the movie. In a seven-act structure, that moment that we've just watched actually doesn't happen in Act 1. It actually happens in Act 5. It's actually about two-thirds of the way through the movie before this sequence actually happens. But what Tony Gilroy has done is he's grabbed that sequence from later and he's pulled it up to the front. And in doing so, what he's done in the same way that Living With Yourself has done is he solved that problem for himself. Now again, these are outliers. The easiest way to build your first image is to start with a great image and to launch yourself linearly into your story. And that's how most great movies do it. You start with the first thing that happens and you launch linearly into the story. If you think of most movies, they just start with a great image and they build linearly through the structure. That's the easy way to do it. But these are two scripts with a challenge, where the show or the film actually does have a very strong genre, but where that genre develops slowly over time. And so by using that very first image, the, the writer is able to buy himself some time to actually allow the story to develop um, and to, to keep your interest even as he moves you through the slower stuff. So. We've now talked about a couple of different examples of how to use the power of the first image or the power of the first sequence to power your writing. I now want to talk about how to use this to power your writing career. Um, it, we've just gotten through the holidays, so if you are like most writers, you are probably deeply off schedule. Uh, you probably found that the holidays were the hardest possible time to keep your writing moving forward at the pace that you feel is necessary. Um, and you, and the good news is um, you probably picked up a lot of wonderful fodder because you've spent some time with your family. Um, but you're probably really aching to write. And maybe you've even set a New Year's resolution that this is going to be your year. So I want to talk about the power of the first image in your life. Uh, the first writing sequence in your life and how you can use your January to actually change the story that you tell yourself about your writing career and your life as a writer. Um, to do this, I'm actually going to talk a little bit about a guy named Dan Ariely. Uh, Dan Ariely is not a screenwriter. He's a brilliant behavioral economist. And his basic premise is that people don't actually behave uh, in a rational way. Um, almost every decision we make happens in an emotional way um, that, is, uh, that is influenced by the way that we actually look at ourselves. Um, and one of his experiments was able to prove how quickly, how quickly one moment could completely shape someone's view of themselves and even their future behavior. And this is what he did. He had come up with a test, um, and he found out that basically everybody cheats. 
Uh, but most people cheat just a little bit. And so he came up with a test that it was very easy to cheat on. And he gave that test to a lot of people. And uh, by, by doing that, he was basically able to say, I know that people will cheat this much on the test at, on average. So if I give this, this um, test to 10 people, um, they will cheat on, I'm just going to make up a number, they will cheat on 10% of the problems. Um, then what he did, so now he had a, a baseline, right? So he knows if I don't do anything to these people, if I, don't, if I just bring them in and I have them take the test, they're always going to cheat across the board about this amount. So this is probably already feeling familiar to you, right? Most of us do the things we say we're going to do, but maybe we cheat a little bit on ourselves. So what he did then was he broke the people into two groups. Um, one group he gave a pair of genuine Gucci sunglasses. And um, he basically said to them, look, this is a pair of genuine Gucci sunglasses. It's worth about $400. Um, and uh, I want you to put these wonderful sunglasses on and uh, go out into the world and just see what it's like to see the world through the genuine article, what it's like to be the kind of person who wears a genuine $400 pair of sunglasses. He went to another group and he said, he gave them the exact same sunglasses, uh, actually completely the same. They were all authentic Gucci sunglasses. But instead of telling them they were authentic Gucci sunglasses, he told them, these are a pair of knockoff Gucci sunglasses. They're worth about $5. But the good news is they look exactly like the real thing. So no one will be able to tell the difference. So what you should do is put those on for half an hour, go out into the world and see what it's like to see the world through um, this cheap knockoff, but knowing that nobody will ever know the difference. Everyone will think that you're wearing $400 Gucci sunglasses. And this is the amazing thing he discovered when they came back, was that that 30 minutes had actually completely changed the, the behavior of the people who he had given both kinds of sunglasses. The people who had been given the authentic Gucci sunglasses actually cheated a lot less on the test. And the people who had been given the, what were, they were told were the, the knockoffs, that no one could tell the difference, cheated a vastly higher amount in the test than the average. And so what he was able to basically prove is that in 30 minutes, you can totally change your view of yourself from being a relatively authentic person to being a very authentic person or to being a very inauthentic person. And that that change in your point of view on yourself would actually change your behavior. I think you can probably see where I'm going with this. The way you structure your January as a screenwriter is your opportunity to show yourself that you are a genuine writer. It is your opportunity to show yourself that this is how it's going to work this year. This is how I'm going to build my writing schedule. This is my first image, the place that I'm starting from and the way that I want to build my life. So as you're building your writing career, I want to remind you that this giant experiment didn't require a lot of work. It required 30 minutes of doing something that shifted a person's point of view of themselves. 
Um, in screenwriting, the way we translate this is by setting small goals that we actually know we can achieve and achieving them frequently and celebrating those successes. So what I'd encourage you to do this January is to set those strong goals, goals that you absolutely know you can achieve and to notice what it's like to be an authentic screenwriter. Notice what it's like, even if you're just showing up for seven minutes three times a week, what it's like to show up for seven minutes three times a week. What it's like to show up at the exact time you say you're going to write and not stop until you've achieved your goal. And it doesn't matter if your goal is a page or seven minutes of nonstop writing. Make your goal super small so that there's no way you can talk yourself out of achieving it. Because what you'll find if you start to hit that goal is that the way you look at yourself changes. That in fact, this sequence that you create for yourself in January can become the basis for your entire screenwriting career. That simply by, by setting these goals and achieving them, you're teaching your subconscious mind that you are in fact a writer. That you are in fact the kind of person that shows up, that you are in fact the kind of person who moves towards their dreams, who doesn't just talk about it, who actually does it. And what you'll notice is that that seven minutes starts to become 15 minutes. That that hour that you never thought you'd have, suddenly you start to have it a lot. That, that what used to be a paragraph that you'd get done in seven minutes soon becomes two pages, three pages, four pages, that your productivity grows and grows and grows and that as you start to see yourself as a writer, you start to find more and more and more opportunities to write. It starts to carve out a writing time in your life. So um, I hope that this podcast was helpful for you. Um, we also have a lot of wonderful classes um, starting up in the new year. We have um, uh, the next installment of my Write Your Screenplay class. Um, uh, if you want to learn uh, the foundations of screenwriting and seven-act structure, it's an amazing place to start. We have a brand new uh, format for our TV comedy workshop, uh, which is a wonderful four-week introductory workshop with uh, Emmy Award winner Jerry Perzigian. Uh, we've got a new TV drama weekend intensive coming up. Um, and we have a new kind of class that I'm so excited to talk about, which is our workshop class. Um, most of you already know about ProTrack, which is our one-on-one -on -one mentorship program where we pair you with a professional writer. Well, now, for students who prefer to work in a group, we also have intermediate and advanced workshop classes um, where you can be paired with a group of writers who are at a similar level of experience to you, who will be inspiring and challenging to you, and you can develop your work with them in a group meeting twice a month uh, for as long as you want to stay. Um, it's a really exciting new kind of class. So um, we hope to see you here at the studio, to see you live online, or if you're uh, just a podcast listener, drop us a line, give us a comment, let me know what you'd like to hear about, and have a fabulous new year as a writer.
I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. For a full transcript of this podcast, as well as our full library and information on our New York City and online classes, workshops, and events, please check out my website, writeyourscreenplay.com.